0: Listening to the official podcast of the congregation, a place of discovery, with Pastor Tim Story. Father, thank you so much for everything you are doing in our lives. Each one of us has been spoken over by you. Father, we know in times of trial who our God is, that it really is you who order our steps. So Father, as we press into you today as a church, as a family, as people of faith, let us hear your voice. Let us feel your spirit. Let us be guided by you. Aim our lives and direct our paths so that we might be what you have called us to be. And everybody said, amen. Let's take a seat. Um, first of all, I just want to say, who had fun this week with 4th of July? I think I probably ate too much brisket. Um, but it's, it was such a, a fun weekend, mostly because we had most of it off. Um, ironically, the church staff worked on Thursday, um, and I kept asking people all week, I'm like, do you work on Thursday? And they were like, no. And then we worked. But we only worked till two, and it was worth it because we were planning this kids' thing. And so I'm super excited about what we're going to do in August. So if you have kids, bring children, it's going to be super fun. Let them have some fun and get discipled so they can learn about Jesus. Let's give our kids a clap. So the the title of the series is called Divine Direction. Someone say divine. Direction. And the tagline is, what is the spiritual aim of your life? And it's a question I think we all ask ourselves. It's a question that I think we ask ourselves continually if we're smart. What is the spiritual aim? Of our life last month pastor Tim taught us a lot about what it meant to be spiritually built and the core concept of that series was this idea that God is our rock that regardless of where you are in life we can trust that God is our rock and when we make God our rock what ends up happening is that we become a rock We become a rock for ourselves. We become a rock for the people we love. We become a rock for our children. And we become a rock for our communities. And so what Pastor Tim talked about was that there's kind of this grand bargain that we have with God. And so God does everything for us, but what he requires from us is that we are willing. So, God promises us that he'll be there for us, that he'll empower us, that he'll give us what we need, that he'll bring the right people around us. But in order to do all that, what he requires is that we are willing. And so, that's the bargain. If we are willing, God will work through us. Amen? And so, moving from that series into this series, I think the same thing is true when it comes to divine direction. I think that when we base the aim of our lives off of God, something magical happens. You know, the thing about an aim is interesting. I've been thinking about this all week. Um, And if you've ever met a good leader before, how many have met a good leader? They're magnetic. They're electrifying. You get around somebody... Who is a real leader and it kind of shocks you it kind of makes you step up and i think the reason why it does is because that leader has an aim it's electrifying to be around a person who knows where they're going it really is and it can build so much faith because you don't need to really see a lot manifested yet if you know there's an aim. It's like, for instance, say you meet an entrepreneur and they start a business and the business hasn't made any money yet at the same time the valuation of the business could be high. Well, why? Why is the evaluation of the business worth a billion dollars when they're not breaking a profit? Well, what people are buying into is vision. Is that people are making a bet that even though this company hasn't been profitable yet, the aim of that company is gonna to get to a place where it will. And so I'm betting on how well and good the aim is. How well it's constructed, how well it's thought through. And the truth is, and this is something that I think is interesting, I think that every person you meet has an aim. I think that every company that you see has an aim. Every church you go to has an aim. Every family has an aim. There's an arc that we live out. If you look at a person's life, I think you have a beginning, you have an origin, you have a place where they were born, and then you have an arc. You have a journey that they walk to a destination. And what's interesting about that is that you kind of have an aim whether you like it or not. So if you're not shooting for something, or if you are shooting for something, you're going to end up somewhere. So you might as well take a shot at it. Because at some point you're gonna be 30 at some point. You're gonna be 40 at some point. You're going to be 50 at some point. You're going to be 60 at some point. You're gonna be 70 at some point Your kids are gonna grow up at some point your business is going to mature And so it leaves the question where are you going If we if each of us has an aim and we can't choose to, to opt out, then really the best decision is to get in the fight. Because if we're going in a direction, wouldn't it be better if we had agency in the process? And that's the thing I think about aims, is that we each have one But the question we ask is, one, do you know where you're headed? Do you know where you wanna be headed? And two, are the things that you're doing moving you there, or are they not? And I think that applies in every area of our life. You know, I work um, with a lot of young people, or for instance, I, I, um, I talk to a lot of people who are newly saved, newly Christian, or, or maybe they uh, you know, grew up in church, now they're getting back into church, and, and we just chat about spiritual development and the process of it. And one of the things I'll say is you should just start with committing to Sundays. Just start with that. Start with taking time out of your week that is devoted to you and God. Right? And so a person might hear me and then they come back and they say, okay, I've done that for six months. And I say, great, now start serving. So now that you have a part of your life that's between you and God, why don't you take a part of your life and devote it to someone else's need? And you see a person do that for six months. And then they come back and say, I've been I've been spending time with God, and I've been, I've been serving, and it's okay. So now that you know God, and you're plugged into God, and now that you are thinking about others, it might be time to grow your skill set. So how about you take on more responsibility so then you can stretch yourself? And so all those pieces kind of work together, They're all kind of interrelated. And and so what's happening is that a person begins to reorient their life around an aim. And that aim begins to restructure things. And that restructuring gets you to a place where you start to have benefits. Or what a person who owns stock would say, you're starting to see a dividend. You're starting to see that aim and application are having a direct effect on the direction of my life. Amen? And I'll say this, no matter how good your aim is, because I've met a lot of clever people and smart people, and there's a million pieces of advice. There's a hundred books that tell you what to do. And I would say this no matter how much planning you make, no matter how good your aim is, I will guarantee you that God's aim for your life is better. Yeah. And you might say, Pastor Stefan, why? Well, because you are you and God is God. <laughs> God is the Alpha and the Omega, He is the author. And the finisher, he is the creator. He created you out of dust, out of nothing. He breathed life. He designed you a certain way. He left his mark on you. That idea that we're made in his image is a unique one because basically what it says is that you don't have a choice. When people look at you, there is a divine God goodness that is in your DNA. Even if you have not released it, even if you don't know how to release it, even if someone has told you your whole life that you're not good, there is something in you that God has put there. Well, why? Because you were made in his image. Because he is God. And he aims your life. I want to read today my my uh, passage is Matthew 21, and it's a story about Jesus meeting the high priest of Israel. And before I read it, I, I want to give a little bit of context because the thing about Jesus is. His life is so amazing for a few reasons. The first reason why it's amazing is because when he shows that when God's will lines up with your actions when what you're busy doing is aligned with what God's will is for you, when God's aim is on your discipleship, when God's aim is on your commitment, when God's aim is on your prayer life and your devotional life and where you're headed, something really magical happens, and you can see it in the life of Jesus. And you can see it all over the place. And so one of the things you really see is that Jesus had an aim. Someone say he had an aim. Out of any person that ever lived in the history of everything, Jesus was the guy who had the clearest aim. And you get a sense of this the whole time. Every every time you hear him interact with somebody, it's like everyone else has no idea except him. And no matter how much he teaches people, they never seem to get it. It's like super crazy. I mean, there's there's an amazing story where Jesus is young, he's like 13, right? And of course, you know, Mary gave birth to him, gave birth a virgin. She gave birth to him meeting an angel. So first of all, she was a virgin and she kind of knew she was a virgin. The second thing is that an angel came to her and told her what would happen. And so, she's a mom and Jesus is 13. And Jesus is in the temple, and the mom loses him. And so Mary goes in the temple, and and her mom mode kicks in. And she starts saying, Jesus, what are you doing? You're 13. Why are you in the temple? And his response is amazing. He says, don't you know? I am in my father's house. Don't you know the aim of my life? Don't you know where all this is Headed? Don't you know what God is going to do in and through me? And you see this sense consistently with Jesus and everything that he does. One, you see, um, the, he understands his Father's desire to redeem creation. You get a sense of this. The second thing is he knows about the covenant God made with man, with Abraham. He understands the gift of the law that Israel had been given a covenant by God, but they had been given the law of God as a gift of grace. But third, that Israel had failed in their attempt to follow the law. And so Jesus sees his life in a broader aim. Consistently, He has a sense of, here's my origin. This is where I'm going. This is where I'm going to head at every stage of his life. And you, again, you get this sense consistently. He has a history. He knows where he's from. He knows the history of what God has done. The second thing is you have his path, or what I like to call a higher order understanding. So it's a bigger picture sense of what is taking place and where he is in the lineup. Redemption is here. I am becoming king. God is renewing all things in and through me. He has a sense of direction. And then finally, all Jesus' acts always match up with his sense of direction. And nothing Jesus does is by accident. I'll give you an example. Jesus heals a lot of people. Right? He walks around a lot and heals people. But have you ever noticed that he heals the same kind of people? He heals all the folks that were excluded from society at that time. He's not just healing at random, right? If you had leprosy in the second century, do you think you lived with your family? you did not. (laughs) You lived outside of the city with a bunch of other people who were lepers. You could not get a job. You could not go to the temple. You could not hang out with your friends. You had no life outside of survival, and you essentially lived on the mercy of how much your family could afford to give you. So when Jesus walks around and says, God is redeeming all things, the first person he goes to is a leper and says, by healing you, I'm not only healing your body, but I'm bringing you back in. Is anybody here with me? It's an amazing thing. You see this all the time where Jesus sits with people and he has dinner with them and you're like, what, what is Jesus doing? And he uh, he ta- there's a, there's a lot of he uses a lot of analogies where he talks about dinner parties and 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 how the king of the the king of God is is being crowned and the kingdom is here and God is redeeming all things and this amazing thing is happening that that Israel had knew about all this time it's finally taking place and this is the moment and he uses that that. Analogy of a coronation and then says but the people that will sit in the front are all the folks that had not been invited before and So again, you see this everything Jesus does is directly aligned with the aim in the direction That God is calling him the father is calling him to go and you see this, and I think there's two lessons we can take from this. The first one is that there's a fundamental, there's, I think there's a fundamental truth in this that's just true everywhere, and that's the structure of how life works. And I think what you see is that essentially you have your higher order purpose, which is, which is your big picture, how you see your life, right? And so that's the aim. And so there's a there's a grand way there's a big way of how you see all this thing all of this stuff working out and then you have your actions and so when your actions and that big picture perspective are aligned I think something amazing happens the second thing I think we see in that story is I think the structure in the arc of our walk of faith and It's what I talked about earlier, that idea that we're the people of God, and it's through us walking our lives of faith out that we begin to know God. And then that leads to serving others, and that leads to responsibility, and that leads to being a spiritual force to be reckoned with. And that leads to what Paul says is that we bring heaven wherever we go. And so all those things are, are kind of connected. They, they kind of converge in one location. So it's your aim, the aim that God has given you, your higher understanding, how you understand your purpose in life, and that merges or comes to terms with what you choose and how you choose to live. And so when all those things come together, there's something that's so unique that takes place. And I would say I think it's at that place when your actions begin to line up with with what you really know and that begins to line up with what God is telling you. That's when I think you begin to see a real rise take place. Because it's it's all together and you see it I think in the life of Jesus, he's the best example of what we can see of what a life looks like when you live by god's aim and of course in with every great example there's always a bad one in uh, in Matthew 21 14 um, I just want to read I just want to read this so Jesus is is on his way he's he's staying truthful to the life that he he feels like is on the path before him so he's walking out his ministry and so he again he he knows what the father has promised he has read what the torah says he has been preparing for 30 years he has been ministering for 30 years he has been announcing the kingdom in every area he has gone he is fully embodying and embracing every gift every spoken word over him and he's fully manifesting all his purpose on earth and he's at the point of his climax where he is coming into jerusalem A week before his death where he's finally going to do the thing that is going to redeem all things and he is in the temple in Jerusalem and he is healing the blind and the lame he's doing what he knows he should be doing and it says that the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Another translation, it says that they begin to plot, which is a crazy thing to think about. And it, it kind of shows you, that your life can really be something when you embrace God's will and aim for your life but when you miss it and you kind of pick a random aim there's some dangers to it and I think that the chief priest is an an example of this. I was I was talking to Pastor Page this week, and we were just chatting about this this point in time in Scripture. And it's and I was just explaining that this idea is kind of wild. So Jesus is in the temple and he meets the chief priests and the scholars. So who is the chief priest? So the chief priest was a man named Caiaphas. The chief priest was special. He was kind of like a president. He was kind of like really important. He was the first priest of all the priests. Number one. So he was the most important priest. He was kind of like the Pope in that way. He was the first priest of all the priests. The second one, the second thing is that he was second to the king, which was Herod. So he was appointed. So there was no one higher than him in society except the king. The third was that he was over all financial authority and administration within the temple, which is huge. The fourth is that he was the one who was elected by Israel to go into the Holies of Holies daily. And he was also the one that Israel believed would know the will of God because he was in the seat of Moses. So you have this amazing imagery. So here's Jesus who's living out his God-given aim, who is God incarnate, who's about to renew all things. And then you have the person the high priest who out of every person in Israel or arguably every person living at that time who should have recognized Jesus. I mean, Caiaphas was the high priest. He spent every day in the holies of holies. He was the person that could pierce the veil. He was the person who could go behind the curtain into the holies of holies and give out the atonement for Israel. He knew scripture backwards and forwards. Most scholars think that he could have recited the Torah by memory. So this was the person who was most exposed to God's presence living on earth at that time. And you would think that that person, when he saw God walk by, would recognize the guy. (laughs) If the children could see that he was God, then how come this man couldn't see he was God? I'll tell you, arrogance will blind a man. It'll blind you. And it will not only blind you in a small way, it will blind you in a big way. Because you could spend 10 years going in one direction and realize that you had no business going in that direction for 10 years. You could not want to take advice because you, could, you can't admit that... You're wrong. And go 20 years without taking basic advice that even a child could know. What does it cost you to have the wrong aim? Because when you have the wrong aim, I think you, you kind of see through those glasses. Have you ever been with somebody who like you go somewhere with, and no matter what is good, they are like in a super bad mood. Like no matter what you do, like you could, I mean, like I have a friend, I, I love him to death, but I remember once at his birthday party, he had like 85 people there and his parents got him a car. It was ridiculous. I grew up in South Orange County. It was ridiculous. They were like going the whole way and he just still was mad. For like a dumb reason, like his girlfriend left early, like something super, I'm like, dude, you have a car, like calm down, she might not even be around in a month, calm down, <laughs> that thing is paid off, it's a BMW, you should not even care. <laughs> but it's so true when you're blinded, when you got blinders on, when you, when you kind of think you're going a certain direction, sometimes the question you wanna ask somebody is, man, how high is your aim? I know you got an aim, I know you see the world like this, but it might behoove you, to use an old fancy term, to just look up a little more. It might be in your best interest not to take yourself so stinking seriously. (laughs) It might work out to your benefit with a little humility because what is the alternative and that alternative is not good so one is again when you have a bad aim the fourth thing the first thing you say is that it breeds short-sightedness someone say short-sightedness so when you have the wrong aim i think you tend to miss things the second thing is that it breeds arrogance say breeds arrogance which is super dangerous and i, th- I think with enough arrogance I think what can happen when you don't have the right aim is you end up breeding destruction. And that is the worst thing that it can breed. I don't think it's by accident that it was Caiaphas. It was the same man who's plotting against Jesus in the story who is the one who orders the execution of Jesus. Oh, he makes it happen, he's the driving force. And so he not only saw God walk past him, but in the midst of that, he killed the very thing that he hoped to see. What a loss. He not only missed it, because it's one thing to miss it, because when you miss it, you can maybe find it, you know, sometimes maybe you're in your family and maybe you miss something. There's a real opportunity. You, you miss it. But it's another thing to kill your chances. That's a different animal. That's the difference between maybe it will happen, I'm just being foolish, to I dug my grave and now this is where I'm at. And he does not participate in what Jesus has Done. There's an amazing story. It's it's, so right after this um, this interaction, Jesus is sitting and he starts telling parables, which is totally Jesus. Like he's, I feel like he's he's always dropping parables that are super insulting to the people who don't get it. Like we have this idea, right, of Jesus being this like hyper liberal white hippie guy who's just like giving things, like just give. And then you, but I'm like, what Bible are you reading? Like, if you read this, often he's in these, like, conversations with these people, and then he will tell a parable, which is, like, the worst thing you could tell that person. Like, he will tell a parable that will be like, you will really not have anything, and so this is a, an example. He tells the, perils of, uh, the of the parable uh, of the talents, right? And the story is that there's a master and servants. And so the master gives talents to his servants. And so the talents was uh, quite a bit of money. It represented 15 years of labor. So it was a lot. So he gave a substantial amount. Fif- who would say that 15 years is a, sub- a substantial amount of time? So he gives 15 years of wealth two different servants, and he asks their servants to basically to do something with it, and then the master leaves. And the story is the parable that he tells right after he meets Caiaphas is that the master eventually comes back in the story, and one servant buried it in the ground, and the other servant invested it. So the servant who buried it gets cast out by the master, and the servant who invested it gets embraced by the master. Guess who the servant who missed it is supposed to represent? Yeah, Israel (laughs) for being ridiculous. And so he says it quite... Clearly he goes, here's Caiaphas, his Israel, they've had everything. They had the law, they had the Torah, they had the grace, they had the stories, they had the prophets, they had the temple, they had the holies of holies. But when the master returned, all they did was take the treasures and bury it. But God is looking for another kind of servant. A servant who when God does walk by recognizes who the creator is. The kind of servant that when is given something, does something. Right? The kind of servants that desire to be formed to be shaped to be renewed to be restored to be used the kind of servants that want to be discipled that want to serve that want to lead that want to take on responsibility that want to grow that want to develop that want to be more that want to see God's aim on top of their aim amen God wants to use us to put back the world. Rebecca, if you, if you can hear me, she might be somewhere. Oh, there you are. Come up and play behind me. <laughs> um, God is looking for people to take aim. You know, I often think about that priest. It's just an amazing story. There's so many stories like that where Jesus is, they're just images, and Jesus is interacting with this, the, these priests, and I think about them a lot, actually, because it's so sad what happens, that they were so caught up in their own dysfunction and ridiculousness that they, like, missed, they kind of missed the moment, and the short-sightedness and the arrogance, and it bred destruction, and it eventually gets them to a place where they kind of miss out on what God is doing and there's a there's a a verse that I read a lot and I think it says everything and I close with this but it it's a verse that kind of reframes the way that we think about our walk of faith and it's Hebrews 12 1 through 3 and if you could put it up there Hannah I just want to read this Mm -hmm. And it's Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. And I was, I was reading about this in my devotional just two weeks ago. And I've, I've thought about it every day since. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Someone say surrounded. We are surrounded. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run. Say Run. With perseverance, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer, the perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary you will not grow weary and lose heart translation run your race run your aim it's there for a reason god designed you for a reason he he breathed life into you for a reason he gave you gifts for a reason you got something to give you got something that you have to deposit into someone else there is something in you that has to manifest itself and it's not gonna be maybe the way that you think it's gonna be but it's gonna be in a way that God thinks it should be and when it manifests in the way that God thinks it should be what you will find is that it might be better than what you expected it to be. It's not like any other race. It's a race I think we run together. The walk of faith is a faith that many people have walked before you. Peter walked it, John walked it, Paul walked it. 2,000 years of Christians have walked it. Single mothers have walked it. Businessmen have walked it. Poor men have walked it. Prostitutes have walked it. Tax collectors have walked it. People from every walk of life have walked it. Black people, white people, Asian people, Native American people have walked the walk of faith and the great thing about the walk of faith and the great thing about the race of faith is that it's not a traditional competition. It's not the kind of competition that you win when you're in first. It's the kind of competition that you win when the person next to you crosses the finish line with you. And so it's something that we do together. And so the proper aim for your life is also an aim that benefits the lives of those you love. And it cross-sections with the lives of those you love. And it's not just for them, but it's also for your church because every person in the body of Christ has an aim, but all those aims are coming together for a bigger purpose. The purpose of God redeeming all things. Thanks for listening to the Congregation Podcast. For more information about the congregation, including gathering times, locations, and how you can give and support the community, check us out online at www.congregationchurch.com.